This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Black more. Black, black, black more. Black, black, black more. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackball. If you tuned in on Tuesday, you would have seen me speak with Senator Leo Husakos about Bill C-11. And I walked away from that not really learning anything new, and that's not the senator's fault. Um, I think it's my fault, actually. One of the things that I challenged myself to do since that interview with my guest here tonight is to try to be a reasonable person who looks at the other side of the issue. If there were people inside the liberal government who thought to themselves, this is a good bill and here's why, I realized that I have never sought those people out to actually listen to what the government might be saying. Um, that might be good ideas that are inside this bill that are surrounded by these ideas that I think happen to be bad. Um, so tonight um, we have a guest. Um, I, I consider him to be Canada's kind of foremost expert on this stuff, and I think a lot of people do as well. And so maybe he can, along with the criticisms that this bill rightfully deserves, kind of um, maybe, I mean, maybe he doesn't think there's anything good in, in the bill, but I, I, I think he's a more rational person than I am. So I'm sure that there might be something inside that he can, he can point to that says, you know, maybe they're trying to do this. And um, those are the kind of conversations that I want to start having with things that I um, don't look at uh, from the other perspective. So here joining us today to talk about this is Dr. Michael Geist. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for coming. I'm, I, uh, I asked Michael <laughs> before we went on air how his Yom Kippur was, because as an atheist, I have no idea how to ask about religious holidays. So I'm like, how was it? And you're like, I haven't eaten anything in 30 hours, <laughs> whatever it was. So um, I'm glad you had a good holiday, I guess. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, my intro, um, hastily delivered as it was, I, I, I am sort of wondering if I am missing anything here that I could say about this bill that's positive. So I kind of want to open with that, if you don't mind, um, to, to just sort of like let me know um, what I'm missing that might be positive inside this bill, because I've only been looking at it from the side of criticism. So is there anything in the bill that we can point to that's like this is a productive way of handling something? Hmm. OK, well, that's not necessarily how I thought we'd start, but that's all, that's all good. Listen, mm. I think the the intent, or at least the stated intent of the bill, I think is good. Uh, there's nothing, not is there nothing wrong. I think it is appropriate to say that the Broadcasting Act is law, has been around for a very long time, about just over 30 years now, and it's in need of an update. And certainly, you know, the world has changed. The internet and internet streaming services are obviously a much bigger part of the landscape, are a big part of the landscape and, and didn't exist when this was first drafted. So I think the the mission of seeking to update Canadian law is a good idea. I think to the extent to which this bill has put the question of Canadian content rules and what they are and what they are seeking to achieve. I think it's a very good thing. It's, a, it's another long overdue discussion. It's one that certain groups are trying to avoid. I think they'd like to put that toothpaste back in the tube a little bit and, and not engage in that discussion. Because I think once you do, you, you come to the realization that the rules don't achieve what many of the stated objectives are, or at least what people think the objectives between for CanCon are are really good but i think once you start delving into the specifics in the legislation it becomes tougher and tougher to support quite frankly because i don't think the legislation achieves what the government says it has set out to achieve uh, and i think that their response 
both in the previous bill in C-10 and then even more now with C-11, has largely been to stick their head in the sand and say they don't want to hear the critics. And and frankly, it's even worse now. Now it's to to treat anybody who comes with oftentimes, I think, constructive criticism to say somehow they're the enemy and um, they, they seek to discredit or not listen to them whatsoever. Dean Blundell, the Dean Blundell uh, show joins us now. Hey, Dean, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. I just came for the Geist. That's all I'm here for. Michael Geist. <laughs> um, Michael, okay, we're going to get to Dean because I know you have a bunch of questions as well. Um, I yeah. wanted to take a look at something that you wrote about some of the witnesses that have come forward uh, to testify at committee. Um, the, the headline of the of the, on your site of uh, one of your pieces says, when government investigates its critics, why the Bill C-11 witness intimidation issue is about far more than strategically timed link. Uh, leak. I read a bit about this, and I talked to the senator about this a little bit as well. Can you take us through what happened? Because I don't want to butcher it. And I find it to be a manipulative way to take a process in Parliament or in the Senate in this case and create theater out of it that isn't honest and and seems like entrapment almost. Can you can you explain what you meant by witness intimidation? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and when you when you asked, you know, what's good and what's what hasn't been so good with this legislation, I think process uh, has been one of the really bad things. And this is, I, I think, a good example of that. Um, so we, we'd have to go back even to the spring. The hearings were taking place in the House of Commons around this bill. And, you know, as as, as you know, many digital creators have really begun to speak out on this. In fact, as, as we're recording this just a few hours ago, uh, Digital First Canada, this organization that's that try that has tried to become a bit of an umbrella for those views, um, has put forward a letter that brings together creators that collectively, I think, have something like over 200 million subscribers, you know, wide reach, and they're all very concerned about what this bill might mean for their livelihood. And so, in any event, uh, they weren't included the first time round when the bill, bill when it was Bill C10, Bill C11, they they began to get at least a seat at the table. Although I think that the, those views, frankly, have been largely ignored because they've been really concerned about what this bill does. The executive director of that organization, Digital First Canada, someone by the name of Scott Benzie, for many years running something known as the Buffer Festival, which has been a festival in Toronto that brings together YouTube videos and, and many kind of online, a lot of online creativity. And so he appears, he's there obviously to raise concerns around Digital First creators. And one of the liberal MPs, Chris Biddle, who there's a whole separate story with Chris Biddle and, and myself from over the summer, but we could park that to the side. Biddle proceeds to really use those five minutes to interrogate Benzie about his funding, about the organization. Benzie says, listen, there's been some support from TikTok and YouTube, which isn't particularly surprising. His members are on TikTok and YouTube. Uh, and he treats this uh uh, the liberal MP Biddle as some sort of major story. There's conflicts here and the like. I mean, I think it's notable that, you know, when creators speak up for themselves and they get support from organizations and they're critical of the bill, somehow there's a conflict when these myriad of organizations who are benefiting from this legislation or really would benefit from, from these kind of handouts, somehow there's no conflicts there or not even an attempt to drill down as to whether there, there might be, they've got some, some, they would stand to benefit from the legislation financially. In any event, uh, that's what takes place. It's done. It turns out that months later, uh, Biddle, together with several of the other liberal MPs on that committee, though not all, notably one, Anthony Housefather, look, took one look at this, I guess, and said, no way am I getting involved. But they file a, a letter with the lobbying commissioner saying, we'd like you to investigate this organization, the role that the tech companies have. We think that there may be something here. It's not a public investigation, so nobody knows about the, the letter, but Benzie says that he's cleared of anything. There's just It's a non-issue, and everybody knows, and everybody, I guess, associated with it knew it was a non-issue. The night before Benzie is scheduled to appear before the Senate, a story is leaked to the Globe and Mail um, in which this investigation is revealed. There is nothing there. The commissioner's already found that there's nothing there, but it's there. And, you know, it's the 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 timing, as one Senator Paula Simon said, stinks it, it really pretty clearly that it's dirty pool. Uh, and I think you can make the case that it's witness intimidation. We've seen uh, now both in the House and the Senate 
requests to to the speaker of both of those bodies to say, hey, this feels like witness intimidation. In the House, the House Speaker said, listen, uh, this is a Senate hearing. I don't have jurisdiction, although I'm not sure that there's evidence here to support witness intimidation. We'll see how the Senate plays out there, too. They've said part of their concern and their focus was on the timing of the leak. And they say, listen, we can't we're not about to compel a, a journalist with the Globe and Mail who reported it to reveal sources or anything like that. And without that, it's hard to make that case to, to wrap up. I've been going on probably a bit too long, but to wrap up on this. The post that I that I put forward was to say, listen, I think we're missing the forest for the trees here. It's not about the leak. It's about the fact that there was an organized effort undoubtedly coming out of the heritage minister's office that brought together several liberal liberal MPs that sought to investigate one of their most vocal critics. And that, I think, is the real problem here. Was was it true that, that the liberals advised that witness to be a registered lobbyist and then trashed him for being a lobbyist? Well, they, he is, I don't, I'm not sure if he even is a registered lobbyist, but if he is, they may have said, listen, have you registered whether they advised or not? Listen, I mean, the, the law is the law. You can go to the lobbyist commissioner and others and try to identify whether or not there's a requirement. Benzie's gone to the lobbyist commissioners. I understand it and repeatedly have been assured that nothing he has done is offside of the legislation. The organization isn't offside of the legislation. And I mean, it, it, in some ways, for anyone who's followed this, they've seen any number of groups that are actively lobbying either directly or behind the scenes. But it is only when the tech companies are involved that the government jumps up and down and says and screams intimidation, as actually the heritage minister, Pablo Rodriguez, said today. Google is trying to intimidate people. Um, why? By expressing concern about where this legislation will go. I think of the lobby groups who who are literally telling the heritage minister, hey, we want to register this kind of we want to ensure that there's regulation for this kind of content. We want to have the scope extend far and wide. And nobody within the government side says boo. And yet tech companies get involved and suddenly there's big conflicts. Your voice doesn't count. And yet when they say your voice doesn't count, which is effectively what they're doing, we're talking about you know thousands, potentially millions of Canadians who are using these platforms to express themselves, sometimes to, to launch businesses and the like. And their livelihood, as they said today in their letter, is put at risk by this kind of legislation. They should, the, the, the idea that they shouldn't be able to speak out or that somehow there's any sort of connection with the tech companies is frankly abhorrent. And the idea now that the government takes the position that anybody that does that is worthy of investigation, as we saw from these liberal MPs, should scare a lot of us because you, you don't. And this is what House Father recognized. You don't, as a government, go move down the path of saying, we think our critics are so bad on this issue that we actually want them investigated. Dean? Yeah, that was that letter um, that had been shopped around, as you pointed out in your article, michaelgeist.ca, Bill C-11 goes off the rails amid charges of witness intimidation, bullying by government MPs. You laid it out pretty simply, right? You know, uh, Anthony, Anthony Housefather was the only cat that didn't sign this letter um, that you speak of. And, and um, it looked like, and if you read the article, I read everything you put out. And it's interesting because... Um, I get a, I get this really very calm tone, uh, but it's also, you know, you're, you're, what you're trying to alert people to is, hey, listen, you know, if the government is asking for witnesses to come forward to talk about these bills, Bill C-11, old Bill C-10 or Bill C-18, and when these people do come forward and they say, here are the problems as we see it from a digital first perspective in the case of Scott Benzie, um, the, it seemed like there was a real effort there to discredit him and his funding uh, and and when you when you look and read your article and you read the tea leaves and you kind of look at at the situation, it, it makes you nervous for anybody uh, that is in a digital uh, agency, anybody that has a digital property. It makes me incredibly nervous uh, because if they can do that to somebody who they've asked to appear or asked to speak on behalf of uh, content creators in a digital space, you know, it, just to get this through. It makes me wonder, A, what they'll do to us and why they're doing it like this. Why are they intimidating people like this? What is the end goal? You would think that to bring people on side, specifically a, a public that is more and more engaged in a digital space, you would think that they wouldn't want to be doing this ahead of trying to get this thing pushed through. So I guess the question is why? You know, why aren't they listening to people in the digital space? Why are they giving no opportunity for people to talk about uh, how this algorithmic change that they say that they want to bring in uh, when it comes to Bill C-11 
why are they not listening to those people and why are they intimidating other people? What are they trying to hide in your estimation? Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for, for those questions. I think that I think you're asking the right ones. And at a certain level, it, it's a bit inexplicable, you know, on, on the issue, for example, of whether this co covers user content and whether algorithms will be algorithms will be affected. I think it's fairly clear from the Senate hearings, which have frankly been miles better than what we saw in the House. When, once you remove some of the theatrics and you get into people who are actually there to, to listen and are not as politically aligned, um, even if there and there are senators uh, on this committee that are supportive and critical, but, uh, but just about all of them ask good questions and there's none of that theater and they get to the heart of some of these issues. I think it's those hearings have reached the point that there is at this stage no question that user content is regulated, no matter how many times Pablo Rodriguez seeks to say otherwise. And algorithms are affected, no matter how many times Pablo Rodriguez chooses to say otherwise. And that's been confirmed, not just by expert witnesses, but by those that are directly affected by the chair of the CRTC. Uh, it's all there. And so it raised the question, why persist in this, this yeah. theater, in this misleading behavior, um, and seek to, to uh, in many ways, try to intimidate or ensure that some of those voices don't come forward. I think in some ways because they have just latched on so hard to that bill and are so desperate to try to get it through that they are willing, I think, in many ways to sacrifice so many of sort of the fundamental values that I would hope the government would have around trying to make good policy. You know, this, this ought not to be a particularly partisan piece of legislation. And the fixes that have been proposed, which I should note, include ensuring that companies like YouTube still pay. So if this was just about trying to ensure that there's, you know, people are getting a dime out of YouTube or getting some money out of them, quite frankly, we're already at that point. Those companies have said, we're fine with legislation that ensures that we're going to make some sort of contribution. But hands off the regulation piece of the content of our users. And we can distinguish, I think, between telling a Netflix, let's say, we want you to do something on your curated service from a YouTube or a TikTok. And yet the government doesn't even try to, frankly, I haven't even heard them try to justify it. They simply deny. And it makes as someone who does follow this closely, regularly blogs, tweets, et cetera, about it. It makes it pretty tough because you, you see what's in the legislation, you see what people are saying, and the response is to sort of say, well, no, the sky isn't blue in this world. It's it's red. And, you know, that's just that. And, you know, how are you supposed to respond to to that? I don't even know, to tell you the truth. Is is Do you think that's why it's funny? You know, it's, I, in that one article that you put up a couple of weeks ago on uh, that they were referring to about Scott Benzie, uh, you made mention, you obviously, of Chris Biddle. And if you paid attention to, uh, you know, people watching, you paid attention to Michael Geist, you follow him on Twitter. Uh, you know that uh, Chris Biddle, the parliamentary secretary, Canadian Heritage Parliamentary Secretary Chris Biddle, who was on TV talking about Hockey Canada yesterday. It's amazing how you can have so many faces when you're a parliamentary secretary. Um, but this is the same guy that I think tried to do the same thing to you that he did to Benzie, but in a more direct and very disgusting way when he said you were a racist and a bully. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that I should note is not a C C 11 or C 18 issue, but uh, was a rather, but it's a, a you issue because you're the foremost expert in the world of copyright and digital law. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it kind of fits. Does it not in my estimation? It did anyway. Well, I, I, you know, discredit I think the critic kind of thing. I, I think there right? certainly w was that. I mean, this to me was an astonishing uh, experience where uh, it arises not from the these bills, but rather from the government having funded um, an anti-Semite um, using as part of its anti-hate program. And for me, deeply troubling. You know, started this mentioning that it's been the Jewish high holidays uh, have just just completed, and it, it's a it was. Terrible to me, not just that this took place, but the reaction or non-reaction of government officials. And in fact, very many of them said absolutely nothing at all. And we know that these this is a government and these are MPs that on many other issues are very quick to jump in and say stuff, um, as, as I think in many instances they should. But uh, when it's anti-Semitism, somehow um, there was a lot of silence. And there was silence as well from Pablo Rodriguez, who... Um, was not directly responsible for this program, but is the Minister of Canadian Heritage. He speaks out a lot on issues related to online hate. And to have remained silent around, around this, I thought, sent a terrible message. And so I said so uh, on a number of occasions. And Biddle, 
ultimately had enough of that and said that either I was motivated by my hate for Pablo Rodriguez, uh, or perhaps it was the way that the other responsible minister, Ahmed Hussein, who is a black Somali Canadian, uh, looks. And so the reference was either I was motivated by hate or racism. Um, the, I responded by saying I was a grandson of Holocaust survivors and didn't think it was too much to ask the Minister of Canadian Heritage to say something uh, about the, this depart about his department funding an anti-Semite. And yet here I get called a racist. Biddle proceeded to uh, delete the tweet about 24 hours later and apologize. But I felt that apology was a bit short lived as the next day he gives an interview to his local paper and said that he was bullied by a bully and baited into the tweet. I had somehow bullied him, bullied him wow. into calling me a racist. Yeah. Um, and so I don't take that apology to be uh, particularly sincere. But it, it does highlight, I think, not just that I think this MP's conduct is was abhorrent and um, frankly, I just I don't I, I, I inexcusable. Um, mm. But there is a tendency, I think, amongst many of many on that committee and more broadly within that department uh, to view anyone who was critical of this legislation as 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 the enemy. And um, it's moved away from just trying to get good policy into anyone who dares to criticize you know, either is targeted with these intimidation tactics or um, is seen as just real as really the enemy where they're they're kind of no there are no real limits. Anything you do to try to take them down is seen to be uh, fair game. That's it's amazing, Dean's too, because was... it's a government of sorry, Jamesy, it's a it's a it's a government that prides themselves on uh, on all that woke shit, as everybody talks about. You know, it's amazing to me because, you know, these this is the inclusive government and, you know, you got a guy out there. Uh, you have a, a government out there that's basically decided that uh, they're going to decide how things work when it comes to freedom of speech and when it comes to copyright law, when it comes to algorithms, they're, they're going to decide how we're going to proceed. They're going to decide how content looks, who gets to see what. Um, and in the process, when someone raises their hand, like Scott Benzie or yourself, who is a an academic in that world, a legal scholar in that world, someone who is looked to uh, around the globe for uh, direction when it comes to this. And they're doing it to you, too, just so they can get this through. That's why I find it so incredible is it doesn't matter how unbiased, how professional, how intellectual you are. Uh, they'll sick the dogs just so they can get this thing through, because to me, it means that there's something else at stake. And I don't know what that is. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, is it just the fact that these guys don't want to have to use actual law uh, when it comes to hate speech? It, are they afraid of attacking people or going after people on the Internet and the Web that speak poorly about them? Uh, you know, it, it, it just to me, there's something else at play here. And I can't quite put my finger on it. Uh, Michael and I and I and I don't know what it is, but you know, speaking to what what had happened to you, uh, it was disgusting to watch, and uh, just another notch in that in that uh, bedpost of mine where I decide who I'm going to vote for at night and who I'm not going to vote for at night. Uh, and I was embarrassed for you, and I'm I'm grateful to know you too, the strength with which you kind of went through that and 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 maintained your composure. I thought it was incredible because I thought what they did to you was disgusting. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. And listen, I, I felt the same way. Uh, and it was a bit, I have to say, it was a little bit surreal to kind of, it's one thing to, to be the target of certain things. It's, it's, I, I think it's unfortunate, but it's come with the territory on a number of these issues. People uh, do get more personal than I think they should around what is at the end of the day, pretty nerdy policymaking. Um, mm -hmm. But this was something different and um, it was deeply troubling. And it's an area that, um, I must admit, I hadn't spoken out about as much. And uh, I did a podcast actually with Anthony House father and uh, said, listen, you know, it's not the thing I've covered in the past, but this made me realize that there are too many people who are content sometimes to stay on the sidelines or in the case of Chris Biddle, defend people who stay on the sidelines, which is what he was doing in the case of uh, Pablo Rodriguez, who I should note has still not released a public statement on this issue. He gave an interview to one press report, one, one reporter. Uh, they got some coverage on it repeated requests to say, well, what exactly did he say? What's the statement have always gone unanswered. Um, mm. It's, it's pretty shameful in my view. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I I feel like we're looking at a a, a liberal caucus that is really undisciplined right now. I think... um, I think they miss Erwin Kotler. I, I think they miss having statesmen like that, people that were, you know, in the house for a long time to sort of, you know, uh, to serve as an example just by being there in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that I wanted to say before about Dean's question and why it was so good is because taking a look at what their motivations are and not knowing what that could be, it forces people like me to sort of look at the milieu or whatever of the media fund and Bill C-10, Bill C-11, Bill C-18. And the more that I think of it, uh, the more that it, it strikes me as just a way to win elections. It, it, it strikes me as it's it, these all these pieces, if you put it together, create this idea or this construct that they're going for. They want a friendly media. So they give the, they have the big media fund worth, it's going to be worth over a billion dollars, I think now. Um, then they have Bill C-11, which is a lot of people think a favor to legacy media. Um, are these pieces that I'm putting together that don't have square pegs uh, and I'm trying to stick a round, uh, or a round or a square peg in a round hole? Or, or I mean, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but when you take a look at all of these things and you put them together, doesn't it feel like they're just trying to figure out a way to remain in power? Yeah, of course. And I don't think you have to be conspiratorial to, to think that. I think that <laughs> I have you answered that. Of course, James. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're I being just... pretty I don't think they're being particularly secret about that. Yes, that's 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 exactly what they are trying to do. They believe that this is the path to re-election. And you know, in the case of C eleven. I think a lot of it has to do with Quebec-based lobbyists that um, have have really continued to insist on, let's say, things like user content regulation, and that that I think is probably the in a world of, of that is difficult to explain. That's probably the best explanation for why they continue to take the position on that bill that they do on on C eighteen, which has not yet got the attention that it deserves, and I think the yeah. government's pretty happy about that. Uh, it is an astonishing piece of legislation. We may I, we may have talked about about it a little bit at the periphery in the past, but yeah, what are the more astonishing that, points of it? Yeah, the, well, this is the bill that wants Google and Facebook to pay for the link for them linking to um, news sites. The idea that uh, where you search, where where you search, where where a news site uploads something onto Facebook, or where you run a search for a news story and you and it sends you over to the underlying news site that somehow that's the responsibility of Google and Facebook to pay for it, um, which I think is really reverse of how most people conceive of the media ecosystem where there's value in having people link to you. That's how you get ads and subscribers. And yet they're saying that, no, 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 you need to pay for that. It's not just that. We learned today through the parliamentary budget office officer how much at least that that office thinks they are going to be paying for all of this. And it is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, the the News Media Canada says they think it will be 33 percent of their total journalist costs will be funded by the Internet platforms. You tie in 25 percent that they get in labor tax credits. And they believe that all that that their costs for journalism are going to be a fraction of the overall cost. They literally think that it, and their quote is saying they think that's a pretty reasonable deal for us and the platforms. A third of our journalist costs should be paid because they are linking out to these organizations. This is insane. And it's it's, it's not. And, and, and we should recognize that what it does, it first creates perpetual dependence on the platforms. These these companies will ultimately only exist because of large internet platforms because they it's basically an acknowledgement we can't pay our own bills. It makes it it forces everyone to participate in this even if you don't believe in this. You can't compete against someone who's got a third of their bills being paid for by 
Google and Facebook. And what will it say to everybody else who's got links? Somehow there's just like this big free for all your links, people who link to you, it's worth a third of your costs. And what's going to stop everybody else. I run a health site. I think it's really useful. I think Google is generating ad revenue off of those links. I think Google should pay me a third of my costs for running this site, just like everyone else. What will the internet look like in a world in which the Canadian government creates a system in which they say a third of your underlying costs ought to be paid for these large platforms that are actually driving traffic to you? It's, it's mind. What would happen if these companies said no? Like I'm thinking of the Australia thing. Um, yeah, we so don't want the fifty-eight percent increase to our bottom line for doing nothing. No, we don't want it. <laughs> right, but but well, you know what I mean. Like, what if Google, Meta, and um, Twitter were like, "Yeah, you can't you can't manipulate our algorithms to suit your legislation." Sorry, we're not going to do that. What would happen? Yeah, well, so there, there's actually an algorithm issue there too, because ironically, the legislation also says that that Google and Google, Facebook can't play with their algorithms to prioritize or deprioritize because what they want to do essentially must carry. You've got to carry Canadian news as part of your service, which at a certain level, one can understand, well, sure, we want to ensure there's Canadian news. But those companies will tell you that one of the things they try to do is try to deprioritize misinformation and low value news. And if you're going to create liability anytime you do that, that actually runs the risk of having more misinformation, not less. But to answer the specific question around, you know, can they walk away? You know, the legislation is designed to basically force them. If you carry any sort of news, you got to sign up for this thing. Uh, and it's mandatory arbitration in order to do so. I think it's possible. It's possible that they say, well, listen, this is just we can't we can't live in a world and no business could live in a world where the expectation is you pay a third of my costs, you know, not even a dollar figure here. It's like basically it's a third of my cost. The incentives, of course, for the news organizations are OK. Uh, I think I'm going to double my costs in the next year and hire a whole lot of people because I know that I got a third of that being paid for by someone else. And another quarter of it is being paid by Canadian taxpayers through um, various tax incentive programs that we've got. And so why would you do that? I mean, I don't, if you're a Google or a Facebook, it's not clear to me how you run your business when there's that almost unlimited liability because it's based essentially on, on costs as opposed to an actual value estimation um, for these kinds of links. And so it's possible they walk away. It's even more likely that they challenge it. This thing will be challenged at the trade level, it'll be challenged at the international treaty level, and it'll be challenged in the courts. Um, and when you look at the the dollars involved, it's pretty clear that um, there won't be much hesitation to spend big dollars appealing this and fighting this at every court level because they're quite literally envisioning hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Mm-hmm. I have a question, uh, James. Sorry if I if, if I might uh, just kind of no, please. I think uh, my class to go soon, so I think this might yeah, be the yeah, last yeah, question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just 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 one one question about uh, C eighteen. First of all, C eleven. We know C eleven is a joke. Uh, C eighteen also is a joke. Um, how how is it possible that media in this country, traditional media, has been able to convince our government, you know, when they own it all, like three or four companies own everything? How is it? How have they? How is it possible that they could convince the government? Not only do they own everything and get to set internet rates, mobile rates. How is it that they've been able to then make the government? go to these these big tech companies and say, by the way, not only are we you giving us billions a year in subsidies to stay afloat, even though we're incredibly profitable and we're paying dividends, but we also need you to get them to pay us a whole bunch of money. Uh, how is that possible? Because ev- at every turn that you've explained this whole thing to me in Bill C-18, everything that I've read, it's it's about media in this country working hand in hand with certain lobbyists and groups to be able to shut out everybody else, penalize everybody else and get other people to pay for their mistakes and their failures. How has that been possible? Or am I reading this wrong? I don't think you're reading it wrong. And, and I should have mentioned just to ensure that your head explodes, that it's not just the post medias of the world that are eligible for this. Bell is eligible for this. The CBC is eligible for this. Um, so CBC, um, which is government funded, is eligible yes. for more government subsidies. Is that correct? They're eligible for platform subsidies. They They're, don't get enough money, guys. I mean, they get CBC's eligible. <laughs> Bell runs local radio stations. They're eligible for this, too. So it's not even just the newspapers. It's bigger than that. Uh, how have they convinced? 
have been they convinced of it? I mean, I just think that this is they they view this as an easy political winner to come back to James's earlier uh, question. You know, is this really just about trying to win elections? Yeah, it's really just about trying to win elections. This one is even simpler. Um, you win. The belief is you win elections by having local media out there and supporting you. They believe local media needs to survive to help get that message out. Uh, and they look at this and they say, we can funnel money to help these businesses and it's not going to cost Canadian taxpayers. All we have to do is get these platforms to pay for it. It's like win all over the place. We get to demonize the platforms. We get to say that we're supporting our local community papers. Um, and it, it serves the role of helping uh, enhance our presence within our local ridings. This is great. This is their view. This is great on every level. should be noted that in many of these communities, there are digital news organizations that have spread it out over the last number of years. Many of them are deeply concerned by this legislation because they've found a business model that they think can work digitally. And they, as we've been talking about, have no choice but to jump in with this because you can't compete if the, your main competitor oftentimes in these communities is the CBC. It's not just that you're competing now against a taxpayer-supported organization. You're competing against one that's got now a, even you know millions and millions of dollars being funneled from Google and Facebook as well. Um, just before you go, what is the ETA on uh, on the like when committee is over and it expects to get royal assent if it does? When is that supposed to happen? Okay, so on C11, as you've been talking about, it's in the Senate, and you spoke to the chair of the Senate committee. Uh, there is apparently a deal on that that will uh, that they will vote on that by November, so uh, towards the middle to end of next month, I would expect we'd see several more weeks of hearings, and then they will move to a clause-by-clause -clause review. But the expectation is that we'll get out of the Senate in November, and we'll have to see. If the Senate makes changes, if this committee uh, decides that there were some things they want to change and perhaps the new content, uh, then it would go back to the House. And then we'd have to see whether the government accepts it or not and uh, can ping pong a little bit. So that would delay things further. Um, it's possible it gets royal assent by the end of the year. Certainly if the Senate approves it in its current form, that will that's what will happen. Uh, on C-18, it's only before committee right now. There have only been two, hear two hearings so far. I appeared in the first one. Um, and there are at this stage, no other hearings scheduled. I think there's an expectation that they will have some, um, but they haven't scheduled anything yet. They did the hockey Canada stuff earlier this week. They're actually doing the anti-hate stuff, uh, tomorrow. They're off next week. It's certainly possible. We'll see some additional hearings later in October, but, you know, just to, to show you how, how the government wants to rush this thing through the heritage minister, Pablo Rodriguez has yet to give a speech on this bill in the house of commons or before committee. He never spoke to it in the House, and they cut off debate, sent it to committee. He's yet to appear on it before committee. It's fine. It's crazy. It's fine. Crazy. Everything's <laughs> fine, Michael. Everything's yeah. fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Free speech is in good hands. Everything's yeah. going to be all right. Everybody's Dr. Michael Geist, uh, <laughs> University of Ottawa professor, and my favorite internet policy law guy. So, listen, um, I'm going to ask you to come back. So, cause I usually don't, I don't get angry that much anymore, but every time you leave, I'm a little bit angrier. So <laughs> I think it's good therapy for me to, to okay. let it out once in a while, but we appreciate the time that you took and uh, everyone should go to Michael Geist. Is it Michael Geist.ca? Michael Geist.ca. And his podcast is called law bites. It's actually really, really good. I don't say actually like everybody should be surprised. It's not good, <laughs> um, but it's like, it's something that I listen to every time uh, I see law bites pop out. I'm like, yes, good. And it's like food for your brain. You'll understand how this whole thing works. He does such a wonderful job of making it pedestrian for uh, Lugans like me. Uh, mm -hmm. But just uh, uh, just he's, he's you're terrific. And the way that you break it down, I'd encourage you to download and uh, subscribe to his podcast called Law Bites. It's excellent. Agreed. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. I appreciate that. It's really good to see both of you guys. It's been a little while. Great to see you. Take too. care. Okay. Thanks, okay. Dr. Geist. Talk right, to you bye. soon. Michael you Geist. Wow. He's so smart. What a guy. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's smart. You know what I think? It's funny because I like to lay, layman term this kind of stuff. What I think what I think Trudeau's doing, this is what I think his government's doing hmm. with Bill's, Bill C-11, C-18. They're trying to uh, stroke traditional media into helping them get reelected. They're trying to stay relevant in the eyes of the, as some people call it, the woke mob, but in the uh, in the group of the, the, the people who just hate everything, citizens against and the other thing he's trying to do which i find fascinating is he's trying to avoid taking on hate speech 
when it comes to him and people online. He's trying to avoid the legal trigger. So what he's doing is he's trying to end run everybody by dumping free speech into this fucking cauldron of stupidity and then saying, hey, listen, we've got bills for that. I got to take you offline now. You can't you can't fake threaten people or you can't do this or you can't speak poorly of this guy and and that's because that's what this is that's what bill c11 is it's like the german shit where they're like if you feel like someone might say something bad about you in their next tweet you can report it and they'll take that shit down right it's fucking unbelievably when you when you look at what c11 is and what they're trying to do and not only that how they're trying to hurt content providers in this canada by changing things algorithmically it is bizarre to me what they're doing so that's why when i said to him like what are they trying to get at what are they trying to do i think they're up to something else and i can't figure it out and i think i think about protect themselves and trying to convince the rest of the world that they've they've managed to figure out how to a way to make the internet nicer in canada which will yeah. never fucking happen ever. yeah i think i think <clears throat> i think you're right i but i, I mean I was surprised that Michael said, yeah, that's probably what they're doing when I asked him if they're just trying to win elections. Because if, if Michael Geist says, yeah, that's what they're trying to do, and you look at everything through that lens, then I think what they're trying to do with Bill C-11 and Bill C-18 is trying to get people in the, you can see someone in the comments, um, someone saying, uh, what happens when someone decides that Ontario Proud is news? When I see that, I, I understand what, what, what Pasta Gabe is getting at. But the thing is, is that I don't want to live in a country where where the government decides that because Ontario Proud is a repugnant, you know, um, tabloid sensationalist organization, that they're not allowed to say things on the Internet. I think that we have to come to grips with something here. And um, and I'm always quoting Chomsky when I say this, because I asked him once, what is the best way to fight disinformation? And he said, the best way to fight bad ideas is with good ideas because once the government comes in and starts deciding for people because no one ever thinks long term eventually there's going to be a conservative government in canada utilizing bill c11 and then they're going to decide what's news mm-hmm. and they're going to say that politico is not news or they're going to say that hell they might even say the cbc is not news or what have you and so this long-term vision of what the internet could be and copyright law and the CRTC and all that could blow up in their faces the second that a conservative prime minister takes office. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, totally. 100%. And, and that's how and, I felt. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, 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 I don't disagree with you. I think sanitizing bad ideas. I think everybody should be allowed to see anything they want. I think uh, we unfortunately live in a, way, in a world now where – social media can actually disrupt that brain and it can make people with bad ideas radicalized ridiculous and stupid uh and dangerous and we're seeing it now we see it all the time i mean the 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 migtow stuff with pierre polyev and those youtube videos um you know it's it it, he was just shocked yeah can't believe it's happening (laughs) really Um, my favorite was when he goes like this he's like yeah the you know the tags that were there they were there for four years ago and and grocery prices are really high. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the price of kumquats, yeah. can we? Yeah, of course you'd want to get back to the price of kumquats when you've been found out to be uh, virtue signaling to fucking white supremacists, dude. So, like that—that's the problem. The problem is, is that there are nuances and there are a little bit of little bits and pieces in the internet that make it not just about you know a website with bad ideas. It's about activating people. It's about psychologically hacking people's brains with algorithms and, you know, messaging and inflammatory language. Like we don't live in that time where everything is should be in the public square anymore. There should be some intolerance for tolerance to some extent. Like we should have the the ability to be able to say, you know what? Canada Proud is a terrible organization with shit bags that run it like Jeff Bolignol, who are openly trying to court white supremacists jeff Ballingall himself is the fucking king of the incels in this country and he runs an organization and a network that is dedicated to making this country a more hateful and shitty place through a series of lies cat calling and dog whistles in the digital world that not many people understand and yeah. he does right he does and so guys like you and i well, I know, dude, yeah. he used to own it. He's like, literally, we are being cattled by terrible people on the Internet parading around as real. Well, now the government gets to decide who's real, 
right? And so when a guy like, and this is why I'm stuck in the middle with some of this stuff too. When a guy like Jeff Ballingall gets taken off the internet because he's literally using the internet to show hatred for money on his own personal and political gain, then I'm okay with it. Like I would be way okay if someone just said, you know what? We're going to take you right the fuck off the internet. You can't be on Twitter anymore. You can't be, you can't be disseminating information anymore because the information he disseminates is expressed. And for the purpose of hurting people, same thing with Pierre Polyev, same thing with, with uh, rebel news, like rebel news. My God, how the <laughs> fuck is anybody like, I, 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 and, and listen, it exists for people who are literally mentally handicapped in this world, people yeah. who don't have a good idea, people whose responses are terrible, people who do not have the ability to reason. And that that is like literally a terrorist organization parading around as a propaganda news service. And it is just horseshit. Like they make news up. They create fake news, fundraise off that fake news, use that fundraising to make every country they operate in a much shittier place. I think those guys should not be allowed to be on the internet as well. And it's not because I look at them as competition. Fuck. I could care less about the money that they make. I know what we do. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that we have a problem when it comes to information on the internet and stupid people are the end result and they are activated by that problem. And that problem is not what our problems used to be 15, 20, 30 years ago when the internet wasn't hacking idiots brains. So having said that, I kind of like Bill C-11 for that, but I also know that there are 20,000 other things in there that are absolute garbage. You know, it's kind of funny that we're a network that makes money off of selling T-shirts that says, go fuck yourself, and we can still look down our noses at Rebel News. <laughs> to be fair, I did take those shirts off. Oh, did you really? Yeah, the fuck line's gone. It's totally gone. I'm like, I, we can't keep selling. We had like 18 shirts on there that had the word fuck in it. I'm like, they, they, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on with Geist as well, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate no, no it. problem. Thank you for coming. And uh, hopefully you can uh, stick around uh, and watch. I, I, you know, I, I haven't smoked any weed all day. I have John Spencer at 1030, urban warfare expert, whose, yeah. uh, whose strategies were adopted by the Ukrainian military in order to train their civilian force. And uh, I need, I'm need i going to need another couple of Red Bulls because I'm drug-free, um, except for it's weed. weird for you, I, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's weird that I don't have Adderall to keep me up and masturbating and you know and seriously and, and, and reading <laughs> something i don't know oh it's it's called living a sober-ish lifestyle dude it's yeah yeah enjoy yeah it. it's caffeine and weed that's it that's yeah all I got. Oh boy that's uh you've turned into like an actual kensington market hippie now good for you caffeine and weed. Might as well. oh by the way before you go um yeah. i wanted i should have uh i should have given you this before when you did your michelle rempel um segment yeah, that she she hasn't always been exactly a darling of decorum in the house. Just what's she to... doing there? <laughs> this is the Senate scandal, and this is like Stephen Harper made some sort of point where, like, I, I don't know, he's like, well, you know, the liberals did this once or whatever, and that was her hooting and hollering. And as you can see, she's the only one. And if you look at the clip, the clip is hilarious. I don't have it because I got that picture like six years ago, but it, the clip is is just like Harper dissing someone. I guess she expected the rest of the caucus to be like, yeah, right on, but it was just her. And everyone just kind of looked at her when she was done. She was like, what? And a representative I, from Calgary knows Hill, Michelle uh, Rempel Garner, ladies and gentlemen. She blocked me like five years ago. <clears throat> yeah, she blocks everybody. It's fucking amazing that none of these guys block me. None of them. Oh, I have yeah. 585 people that have blocked me, I found out the other day. Yeah, uh, dude, I did a podcast today with three guys. Three of them had blocked you. That's true. Yeah. That's that's a good ratio, though. Yeah. I've realized I've blocked 1,585 people. Holy fuck. Are you serious? Yeah, they're all bots, though. They're all anonymous bots. I haven't blocked I, any humans yet. I've only blocked, like, four people. I don't, I don't want to be the block. Oh, yeah, no, I go for it. No, I could care less. It's about the experience, right? Yeah. No one's going to control my experience in this life. I'll control it myself. Go fuck that's yourself. True. And, and, the, and only, like, oh. that's the thing I do. Only anonymous bots. Anyway, thank you. Appreciate it. I wasn't trying to rush you there, but thank you. All right. Dean Blundell, everybody. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you Thanks, soon. Man. Talk to you soon. That was Dean Blundell earlier. That was Dr. Michael Geist. And I am James DeFiore. And I'm going to get off air now so that I can take a shower uh, again. I've taken uh, two showers in the last 24 hours. Um, I'm going to take my third because it wakes me up.
Uh, John Spencer tonight at 1030. And if you are not staying up for that one, please don't forget that tomorrow I have Ann Schwartz. Ann is an author of the book Monster. Um, it's I've got to go find the title of the book. I feel so bad when I do it like that. Um, <clears throat> she's uh, she's the author of the book Monster, the true story of, Jeff, of the Jeffrey Dahmer murders. She is the reporter who in 1991 was the first person to actually break the story of Jeffrey Dahmer's killings so um that should be fun um and it's actually good well timed with the netflix documentary that came out i don't think it's been released in the united states yet because it came out in canada but i did see and uh post something about how the uh the premiere for the Dahmer documentary is tomorrow uh which is why i asked her to come on the show tomorrow and i got lucky and she said yes so that's uh that's tomorrow night at seven and schwartz but tonight john spencer urban warfare expert at 10 30 uh so we will see you then and yeah have a good night everybody I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.